0: Well, we're in the blue area. The letters or epistles. We're finishing up the second row this morning. second Thessalonians through Philemon. Who wrote these two rows? Oh, yeah. Apostle Paul. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. Different ideas. And then the others are all by various authors. So Paul wrote, Paul wrote the most number of books in the New Testament. But, who beat him in terms of number of pages in our Bible? Luke. Luke did. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Alright, we looked at this timeline last time, just to get where, the, where on the timeline the epistles were. Last time we did 1 Thessalonians, we're doing 2 Thessalonians, which was written just a short time after 1 Thessalonians. Paul was still at Corinth. Um, on his second journey when he did this. Um, second journey is when he uh, first went to Europe, Philippi being the first uh, church in Europe, uh, Thessalonica being the second church in Europe. And um, why did Paul leave Thessalonica? Yeah, the Jews ran him out of town. Um and he went to Berea and then the Jews came over there and ran him out again. So he then went to Athens and a little while later he went to Corinth. From Corinth he wrote 1 Thessalonians. And from Corinth he wrote 2 Thessalonians. Of he, he was at Corinth a year and a half, so um, there could have been some gap there. But um, It's still a very young church that he's writing to, you know. Maybe they've been a, maybe they've been Christians for a year or a year and a few months, but it, you know it's not not like some of his later letters. So simple outline that we'll follow here: Greetings, Thanksgiving, and prayer. Um, and I'll read verse four here. <clears throat> Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. Now in the first letter, he had some good things to say about them as well, about how um, the Word of God had sounded forth all over the place from them, uh, which when you think about it, that's, that's saying a lot. I mean, this, this church has not been in existence that long. And now we find, we're not surprised to find this. I mean, if the Jews ran Paul out of town, they're not going to be very kind to the Christians that are remaining. They're suffering persecution. And uh, Paul deals with that. That in verse 5, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Um, So now he's of course talking about the, um, the, the judgment day to come. And... In verse 11, to this end also we pray for you always, that our, our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness in the work of faith with power. So then, in chapter 2, he deals with a subject that he, he dealt with with the Corinthians as well. You may recall the Corinthians had a problem with the resurrection. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the longest chapter in that letter, uh, to deal with that subject. And now the same problem's coming up here at Thessalonica. Now, in fact, in First Thessalonians they had a problem with the resurrection. What was that problem? <coughs> that's Second Thessalonians. Well, no, I don't think that's either one of them. <laughs> the Christians have died would live. <laughs> yeah. Then first Thessalonians they were worried about the Christians that had died already. You know, that's so sad they missed it. And Paul's saying, no, 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 that's not the way this works. And now in Second Thessalonians, the problem is what? Matthew? People who thought it's coming quickly, so I'm not going to deal with worldly things right now. Yeah, yeah. he's going to be coming so soon. There's no point in making long-term plans like, you know, getting a job and stuff like that. Um, and so Paul had to straighten that out and he explains it. It's going to take longer than you think. Um, verse 2, that you, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. I'm sorry, John, you were right. Um, they, did say, they were saying that it had already come. Um, that, now let me mention this letter as if from us apparently, um, there were people in Thessalonica who were saying, well, yeah, I got a letter from Paul and and this is what he said. And turn over to the very last chapter in verse 17. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. And this is the distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write. What he's saying is I sign my letters. (laughs) Don't let someone give you this baloney like they, they got a letter from me unless you see that it's got my signature on it. Which, that just shows the, the terrible problem that Paul had with these false teachers. I and mean, the kind of behavior. Um, that these were not just people who misunderstood some things about the Scriptures. These are people that were just plain dishonest. And, and, and Paul calls them that at, at various places. So then he says in verse 3, Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called god or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Now Paul here now is looking to the far future and says that there's something that's going to happen before this happens. And... Then when the Lord comes, in verse 8, then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of His mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of His coming. Now, I don't think this is the only thing we have in the New Testament on this subject. Uh, in fact, the whole Bible covers this. Uh, the book of Ezekiel talks about this battle of Gog and Magog. Uh, we're, where they're trying to wipe out Israel and then the Lord comes and, and destroys all these troops and and you know the, the blood is, is so deep and, and there's so many years burying the bodies and all this kind of thing well the, in the book of Revelation you have this the same thing it uses the same language Gog talks about Gog and Magog and it happens after the thousand years and and most brethren, and I would agree with you, most brethren would say that we are right now in the thousand years. And I mean it doesn't last literally a thousand years because we've already gone almost two thousand, but um, it's a thousand years because it's a complete period of time and it's a long period of time. We're in that time now, but before the Lord comes again, the thousand years is going to end and there's going to be this big battle, this big attack, the Gog and Magog thing. And then the Lord appears and, and, and wipes out the enemies. And then that's the end. It's the it's the judgment day and all. Well, here Paul is not using the terms of Gog and Magog. He's 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 of course those are symbolic terms. They're not. We're not supposed to look on a map. Let's see where they are. They they represent the enemies of God's people. And in this case, he's speaking from. Uh, the New Testament standpoint, where the enemies of God, God's people, are spiritual. Not the, the, it, it's a spiritual battle, not a, a a battle with tanks and things like that. And so, the, in the spiritual battle, this evil person takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. He claims all the power. Now, the truth of the matter is, there have been people like that down through the ages. Certainly, the the the, the Pope could be. In that category, at least certain popes in, in the past have very clearly had that attitude themselves. There have been cult leaders that have had that same attitude. Um, there have been um, uh, communist leaders that have, have, have again claimed, you know, they God, basically, even though it's an atheist religion. Um, all of these—it's history. Repeats itself. It's a cycle. You have this constant battle against against God. But if I understand what Paul's saying here, and I understand Ezekiel and Revelation correctly, there's going to be one that is going to eclipse all the others, and he's the one that the Lord is going to take down at the very end. Alright, chapter 3. Request for prayer and warning against idleness. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the Word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. And that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men for not all have faith. Everywhere Paul went, he had problems with perverse and evil men. And he was at Corinth at this time. And the Jews did try to, to get him in big trouble. They dragged him before the court of Gallio, but Gallio wouldn't pay any attention to them. And it, it may be that Paul was writing this shortly before that time and could see the, the um, increased activity, hostile activity on the part of the Jews. So and that, if that's the case, then God heard their prayers. And He did rescue Paul from these evil people. Um, down to verse 8. Now here he's talking about people that, as we mentioned earlier, that they... They've decided that there's no point in working. You know, the Lord's going to come so soon. Um, And Paul mentions his own example in verse 8. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. And so in verse 10 he says, For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then what? Don't let them eat. Don't let them eat. Yeah. now doesn't say if any, he does not say if anyone does not work, don't let him eat. What's it say? Not willing. Not willing to work. Yeah, and there's a difference. Some people obviously can't work. For we hear that the, that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. And so he's telling them, get a job. <laughs> and then we have the final greetings here, which I already read. Verse seventeen is his um, signature as he concludes this rather short letter. Alright, now we're into 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. The order in which they were probably written, not certain, but probably is 1 Timothy, then Titus, and then 2 Timothy. Now in, in some books you'll read the you'll read these three epistles called pastoral epistles. Using the denominational term for pastor because these because both Timothy and Titus were preachers, and, and so that's why they're calling them the pastoral epistles. I'll just mention that in case you see that term somewhere. Now, I want to start at the end, at the end of 2 Timothy, and just show you why, how we know that these letters are written like this. The last chapter of 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 20. Paul is just kind of throwing out uh, just news to, to Timothy, things that he thought Timothy would want to know. So he says, "Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus, I left sick at Miletus. Now there's a lot in that. Um, first of all, Miletus, is, it's, it's this little dot on the map. It doesn't have the word, but it's a little bit south of Ephesus. And for Paul to say, I left him sick at Miletus, That implies that Paul was at Miletus. And so this this is where we get the very clear evidence from the Scriptures that Paul's imprisonment did not last the entire time. When um, the last time in the book of Acts, the last time Paul had been at Miletus was uh, on this journey, this third journey on his way to Jerusalem. Trophimus was with him at that point. But in fact, in Jerusalem, Trophimus was with him because the, the Greeks, or I am mean, the Jews, sorry, from, from Asia were accusing Paul of taking Trophimus into the temple. So this, this statement had to happen after that. Well, Paul could not have gotten back to, Tro, to, to Miletus before the end of the book of Acts because he was a prisoner for the whole time. He, he, he ended up being taken to Rome. And and yet Paul says I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. That's proof positive that Paul did get released, just like he expected at the end of the book of Philip, or in the in the book of Philippians. He expected to be released. He did get released, and that, and and now he's a prisoner again. And it, and he I don't think he's been a prisoner for very long, because otherwise Timothy would have already had this news um, that. Um, if we look at the history of what was happening, uh, Nero was the emperor uh, for, for both of Paul's imprisonments. But for the first imprisonment, Nero was not an enemy of the Christians. Um, and I don't know the exact sequence, but I think that Paul was released before the fierce persecution against Christians started. That started because of a fire. that, that There was a huge fire in Rome that burned a good part of the city. And Nero had just a wonderful time rebuilding the city the way he wanted it. And and the Romans started a rumor that he himself was the one who had started that fire. And it became such a a problem for him politically that he accused the Christians of having done it. And to back it up, he instituted the the fiercest persecution imaginable against Christians. Um, And... It was during that persecution then that Paul was arrested, obviously you know being such a big leader of the Christians he would have been a big target and was probably arrested in um, in or near Nicopolis as we'll see when we do the book of, of Titus um, taken from there to to Rome and then Paul wrote this last letter so we're we're going to do the letters in the order that they are actually in the Bible. We're going to go back to First Timothy now. But I just wanted to show you how we know for a fact that Paul did get released from prison and that he did travel in that very area. And and when we read these letters, we'll see that they do fit that same thing. They do not fit anything that, that is in the book of Acts, nor do I think they can fit into, what, into the history in the book of Acts. Uh, but they fit very well. If we understand that Paul did was released and, and did travel in those areas as he expected to when he wrote to Philippi. All right. So, First Timothy, then we'll look at the warnings against false teachers in verse three. Paul says, "As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines." Now. <clears throat> This could not have been the time in the book of Acts when Paul was in Ephesus, although he did go from Ephesus to Macedonia. He had sent Timothy ahead. Luke specifically tells us that. And so this is a different visit to Ephesus. Paul's been back there now, um, and he left Timothy behind because there was some unfinished business. There were some false teachers that, that Timothy needed to straighten out. And so... He's sending this letter to give him additional instructions. Um, And probably, although he doesn't say this, probably to give Timothy the authority he needed if somebody in Ephesus would say, hey, where did you get your authority to do this? He can pull up this letter and say, well, here, the Apostle Paul sent this to me. Verse 5, he says, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith very different goal than what the false teachers have. We already looked at this, but this is where Ephesus was and Paul had gone into Macedonia. So somewhere from Philippi or Thessalonica or somewhere down there, Paul's writing back to Timothy in Ephesus. The Lord's grace to Paul Verse 13 says, Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. So years later, I mean, this has been decades, Paul is still looking back at what he once was and is so grateful that God was merciful to him. Verse 15, It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. And then in verse 18, he, said, he gives the purpose of his instructions. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. And then in chapter 2 and 3, he has instructions for the church, um, what, what Timothy should be doing with regard to the church. And in chapter 2, he, he starts off with prayers. Prayers. And among them, in verse 2, is for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. That was becoming a very big problem because if we're correct about the, the order of these books and when they were written, the, the, the persecution by Nero was pretty fierce at this time. Now that persecution, of course, was primarily in Rome. But out in the provinces, there, there would be plenty of leaders who would be following the lead of Rome and would be happy to do a good deed for Rome. And I, I think that, that's how Paul got arrested. I think some people over there in Nicopolis thought that they could earn some brownie points by sending the ringleader of the Christians back to Rome in, in bonds. He's still free at this time, but he wants prayers to be made that we, we can lead a quiet life with God's own dignity. <coughs> Then he says in verse 8, I want the men at every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath or dissension. The men as opposed to who? The women, yes. And so in verse 9 he says, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls and costly garments. Rather, of course, by means of good works. And then he says in verse 12, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over men, but remain quiet. There are different roles for men versus women in the church. Um, I think we all understand that in, at different times in history, different doctrines of the church will be in harmony with the culture and different doctrines of the church will be out of harmony. And where does this doctrine fit today? Out of, out of <laughs> this is definitely out of harmony. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And other things, I mean, we can find other things in the New Testament that, that the, the culture around us will say, Amen, that's great. Yes, we believe that. But we read this and they say, Huh, Paul was sure a woman-hater, wasn't he? <laughs> well, if we have faith um, in God, we understand that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to say these things and that Paul didn't hate <clears throat> women anymore, that God hates women, but He gave them a different role. And when women ask, well, what role should I fill? In verse 15, he says, but women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. There is a role for women. Now, I don't think he says everyone has to have children, but that's the that's the primary role that God has given women to, to to fill. Oops. Chapter 3 is on this same outline point. Um, Chapter three now moves to uh, overseers. What's another term for overseer? Elder. Elder. Yeah. So in verse two he says an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. And he goes on with a long list like that. And then in verse eight he switches to a different office. What is this office? Deacon. Yeah. It might be more accurate instead of calling it an office to call it a work. Both elders and, and deacons are doing a work. Uh, but they get appointed to it, so from that standpoint it's an office. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain. And then verse 11, women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossip, but temperate, faithful in all things. As People don't know for sure whether these women are the wives of the deacons or are uh, female deacons. Um, we do find that there was a female deacon at the end of the book of Romans he talks about Phoebe who is a our translation says a servant of the church in Cenchreae, but the Greek word is deacon a deaconess um, so she may have there may have been an official office that she was holding but they don't have female elders because a deacon is what? a servant yeah the, the church assigns the deacon certain jobs to do and, and they do it now their jobs of responsibility um, in, in in Acts chapter 6 there were seven men chosen what was their job? See so that the, uh, the widows didn't get too skinny yeah the, the, their job was to distribute the food to the widows yes, the poor widows um, and today we have various jobs I mean, I, the job of treasurer would, would clearly be a job for a deacon to do Um and there are others like that. My son Philip was a deacon when he was at, uh, in Bowling Green. And they gave him the job of managing the church's website, uh, which that was kind of, kind of a big job, so he delegated some of it to his wife. <laughs> All right, verse 15. But in case I am delayed, he says, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God which is the church of, of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. That really exalts the church. What a, what a task for the, the church to do. Chapter 4, dealing with false teachers, um, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. and talks about the kind of behavior they're going to have. And in verse six, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourish on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. And then in verse twelve, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. <clears throat> now, on our timeline, I, I, I did the calculations, and if if Timothy had been eighteen years old when, when Paul added him to his his group on his second journey, then Timothy would have been about 34 at this time. (coughs) Um, I can't imagine Timothy was any younger than 18, and he certainly could have been in his early 20s when Paul picked him up. So he could have been as old as perhaps 40. He was called a young man in in Acts. He could have been 40 at this time. And most people would say, well, 40 is not a youth. But when you understand the work that he was doing, that still could be considered youthful because... Here he is, he's got a job of appointing elders. Later on we're going to see he has a job of rebuking elders even. I mean, that that would be something that you'd have to be very careful that people don't say, who are you to talk like that Timothy? You know, you're just a, a very young man. And when Paul says, don't let anyone look down on your usefulness, what he means is, behave so that they won't. Don't behave like a, a, a little kid. I mean, there's some 40 year olds that, that haven't grown up yet. And there's others that are very mature. And wanted to make sure that Timothy was was the kind that was mature and then when 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 this outline says dealing with different groups it means different kinds of people in the church they've got widows uh, there's some people that are slaves different groups like that and the first one he mentions in in chapter 5 verse 1 he says do not sharply rebuke an older man but rather appeal to him as a father to the younger men as brothers, to the older women as mothers and the younger women as sisters, he's just telling how to relate to different people in the church. And when he mentions the sisters, he says, in all purity, which is something that unfortunately preachers down through the ages have not always done. Um, Verse 3, honor widows who are widows indeed. And so he's talking about the church taking care of them and giving instructions through Timothy to the church. And one of the principles with the widow is, well, if she has children or grandchildren, they should take care of her, not the the church. And so in verse 8, he says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The reason he's worse than an unbeliever is because unbelievers usually take care of their own family. Um, Then he's changing subjects in verse 9 a little bit. A widow is not to be put on the list... Is to, be, is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old. This is different than just taking care of poor widows. There was a special list they had of of women who had a special job, widows that had a special job. And nobody knows what the job is to, today. Um, in the early centuries, some of the, the early writers wrote about this and they didn't know either. We, we don't... <coughs> This was something that they did, they did in the first century, but there's not enough details in the, the New Testament for us even to know specifically what it was. But we might have, in our society, we might have a need for something similar to that. And I, and I think what, what these verses are given here for is not for a specific list for us to do it exactly like this, but to teach us some principles that we can follow and apply, apply them to what our situation is. Um, Let's see here. Um, Verse 17 The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. He's talking about actually paying support to an elder. Um, Well, this would be the case if the man devoted himself full time to the work. Then in verse 20 talking about elders, he says those who continue in sin, rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. That would be a very serious thing for Timothy to do. A very great responsibility. and um, he, he had said in the previous verse, don't receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. But sometimes you have the two or three witnesses, then you have to deal with it. And you had to deal with it pretty sternly. And then the last chapter of that one just calls it miscellaneous matters. Verse 3, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, then he's just conceited. And at the end of verse 5, these kind of people suppose that godliness is a means of gain. And there's lots of people today, you know, preachers that, that think that that's the way you get your money. He says, well, godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. <laughs> a different kind of gain than what most of these guys have in mind. Um, verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. What does he mean by man of God? Linda? Linda? That was from in the term Yes, in the Old Testament, the prophets are called a man of God. And I don't think that when Paul calls Timothy a man of God, he means a Christian. He means a man of God in the sense of a preacher who is doing the same work that the prophets in the Old Testament were doing. And and so and that's why he's calling him that. Alright, verse 17, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And then verse 20, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. Does anyone know what the Greek word for knowledge is? Moses. Gnosis, yes, G-N-O-S-I-S. And it's from that term that the, that the term Gnostics was given. Later in the first century, the Gnostics came along um, claiming they had this, these special keys to understanding. John, in the, in the book of First John, dealt, a, dealt very specifically with the Gnostics. But apparently they were already becoming a problem here. Uh, this is the late 60s um, when Paul wrote this. Okay, so now we go to the very last letter Paul wrote. Second Timothy, um, Paul ha- ha got arrested, put in prison. This is not the same kind of prison situation he was in the first time. Do you remember in the book of Acts, he was in his own hired house. He stayed there <clears throat> for two years. He's not in a hired house here. He- he's definitely in a prison as a criminal. That they consider all Christians to be criminals. And as we read the book, we find out he does not expect to, to get to get released. Even. He knows <clears throat> the end is going to come. He knows he's going to be executed, um, and and this is a, he knows also this may be the last thing that Paul, that Timothy ever hears from him. These words. So it's uh, it's quite a quite an emotional type uh, letter. First of all, he he writes things about his concern about Timothy in verse three. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you, in my prayers, night and day, I longing to see you, even as I remember your tears, so that I may f- be filled with joy. He just thinks of the world of Timothy, and, and we've seen that in, in other places. I mean, I think it was in the book of Philippians. He, he, he was going to send him, and he says, "I don't have anybody like him, um, who, who is really concerned about you like this." Um, Verse 6, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, His prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. At the time Paul was writing, it was dangerous, very dangerous to be a Christian. And for someone to stand next to Paul and says, yes, this is my brother, they would risk being put in prison for that. And so Paul was worried about, don't be ashamed of me uh, in this matter. And so now he talks about his own situation in verse 15. You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygellus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. So here's a man from Ephesus Onesiphorus. He came to Rome for a reason I don't know. When he got there, he searched diligently to find Paul. I, I, I get the impression that was not the easiest thing to do. It was not like Paul was in his own house. He was in the, the Rome prison system. But when he found him, um, he wasn't ashamed of his chains. He found him and and did what he could to refresh Paul. And then Paul appreciates that. So then he gives some instructions to to Timothy here in chapter uh, 2. In verse 2, "...the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also." Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Boy, Paul sure raised the bar high on that one, didn't he? (laughs) Wow. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that it may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Serve the Lord, don't serve yourself. Verse 6, A hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Let's see here. Verse 9, For which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the Word of God is not imprisoned. This is a picture of the Mamertine prison where tradition says that both Paul and Peter were imprisoned, both of them being executed under Nero. I don't know if this is the exact room they were in. I'm not sure how... when I mean, The prison had more than one room. I know that. Um, but there is a... Uh, the church has built the Catholic Church has built this altar there to kind of to commemorate these guys. Now, anything anything odd about this picture there? Upside down Upset our cross. What's that for? Peter. Yeah, the tradition says Peter was crucified upside down because he said he wasn't worthy to die the way his Lord died. So that they put that there to commemorate that. Um. Alright, back to the chapter 2, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. <clears throat> Down to verse 20. Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Well, obviously we want to be the ones to honor. That's the concern. We have to take care of how we behave. Then warning about the last days, realize this that in the last days, difficult times will come. In verse five, these people that Paul has talked about, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. There are an awful lot of people in the world that they have this form of godliness, that the, you ask them to tell you they're a Christian, they come to church,, you know, but they've denied the power. The power of godliness is to change our lives. And Paul has seen a lot of those false teachers that God has had no power in their lives. Verse 14, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And then in verse 16, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training and righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work. Notice the term man of God again. He's still talking to, to Timothy as a preacher of the Gospel. And then finally, his charge to him in chapter 4, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is a judge of living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word. And he tells them that people aren't all going to always want to hear it, but you've got to preach it anyway. Verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. He knows he's going to die. In the future, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And then in verse 11, he mentions only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to you for service. Verse 13, when you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus, and the books, especially the parchments. Now, Timothy was at Ephesus so apparently Paul expects him to go overland to Troas and he's going to come across Macedonia and then take a boat to get over to Italy that's the way he, wants him to, uh, he expects him to come Paul had followed that same route although he hadn't planned to go to Rome he was going to spend the winter in Nicopolis but on the way he had left a cloak for some reason with Carpus at Troas and also some books and, and so he wants Timothy to bring them to him in verse 21, make every effort to come before winter. We have no idea whether Timothy made it before winter. Nor do we even know whether Paul was still alive by winter. Um, the timeline that I showed, I got from Coney and hausen some scholars that wrote a book about, about Paul. They think that Paul didn't make it till winter. They think Paul was arrested in the spring and was, and was executed in the summer. Just before um, Nero took his own life, Nero was being was under attack, and he killed himself rather than suffer what was going to happen if they got him. Um, and so that Paul, so that they think Paul was actually executed before winter. And and um, so if Timothy got there in the fall, it would have already been too late. But um, it'd be nice to think that Timothy got there in time. But <laughs> we don't know. Um, now we come to Titus. Now this goes back a short time, only really a few months earlier. Paul was still free when he wrote this letter, though. Um, <clears throat> I should have stayed on that map, though. Yeah, here's Crete. Um, the churches at Crete were not started by Paul. Uh, but on this this journey, which is taken after the book of Acts was completed, he had been to Crete, and he left Titus there to, to help straighten out some things in the churches, including appointing elders. And I don't know whether he went from Crete then to Ephesus. That would make sense to Crete to Ephesus, to Take, leave Timothy there and then he goes up here. But somewhere from Macedonia he wrote the book of 1 Timothy to, to Timothy at Ephesus. And then when he's getting close, or maybe in that compost, he wrote Titus uh, to uh, Titus there in Crete. So he says uh, in, uh, in verse 5, for this reason I left you in Crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. And so then the qualifications for elders follow. Ending up in verse 9, Holding fast a faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. That's the job of the elder. One of the jobs. To deal with false teachers refuting those who contradict the truth and exhorting in the sound doctrine. Then concerning false teachers, starting in verse 10, for there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, we call those guys the Judaizing teachers, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, not not a Judaizing teacher, but a Cretan, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so they may be sound of the faith. <laughs> that guy was pretty rough on his own people. Um, then we have, in chapter 2, we have again various groups. This is a section Nancy's been preaching to us from. Older men, older women, younger men. The younger women being taught by the older women. Um, in verse 9, we've got slaves. Um, verse 11, he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And then in chapter 3, concerning just believers in general, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. This would be a difficult time for Christians to be obedient to authorities, to rulers, because of uh, of the attitude those rulers had toward them. But he wants to make sure they do this: to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. All of us have to have this attitude to people around us. He says, "For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures." So you see the people around you, and and they're living like they're behaving like jerks a lot of times. Paul says, but we should behave in a peaceful manner toward them because we were like that ourselves once. (laughs) Kind of a sobering monster, that is. Um, Verse 4, But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And then concerning response to spiritual error, uh, in verse 10, reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. And then in verse 12, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Now, Nicopolis is not mentioned in the book of Acts, and as far as you know, Paul didn't go there on those earlier journeys. But here he is in Nicopolis. He's planning to spend the winter. Whether he did or not is a, an open question. Um, Alright. last letter of Paul's is not the last one in chronological order. Philemon, Colossians, and Ephesians were all written at the same time. Probably sent out at, with the same messenger. Um... Shortly before he got out of his first Roman imprisonment, now he did write the book of Philippians after that, so he had a few more months to go. But it, it was toward the end of those two years that Paul met, that Luke mentioned at the end of the book of Acts. Philemon was a Christian who lived in the city of Colossae. and so Paul wrote the book of Colossians to the whole church, and then Philemon just to that one man. And he says in, in verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. He This, again, was his first imprisonment um, in Rome when he's when he's writing this. And so he talks to um, Philemon in verse 4, I thank my God always, making mention of you my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And then in verse 8, he comes to... He finally tells what he has in mind here. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. Now we find out down in verse 16 that Onesimus was a slave who had belonged to Philemon. Philemon was a slave owner. And Onesimus had run away, found himself in Rome, somehow run into Paul. Paul had converted him, and when he found out that he was an escaped slave and that his master was a Christian, he told him you've got to go back. And so he wrote this letter so that Philemon would accept him back. He says in verse sixteen, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? Now he's not telling him he can't have him as a slave anymore. And I don't know whether what Philemon did about that, but um, he says you'll you'll, ha- he, you'll have a much better relationship with him than just a, a slave-owner relationship. And then finally, in verse 22, he says, at the same time also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. So he was hoping to actually visit Philemon in Colossae, which he may well have, because we know that he did get out of prison. He did tour, tour that area. Any last questions on flying trip to 2 Thessalonians (laughs) to Philemon? All right. Appreciate everyone's help this morning.